Okay, y'all have heard Dave and I talk kind of nonstop about Enneagrams and our Enneagram numbers, and we have got so many requests about it um, over the last couple of years, and we're really excited to have an expert. Did you say that we have a guest on this like, show? It's our first guest ever, and they actually know what they're talking about. It's not people like us who are just making it up as we go along. Wow. I know. Mind <laughs> so we're super excited to have Chris Hewitt here today to, to share so much wisdom, to drop all kinds of knowledge. Hi guys, I'm Rachel Hollis. And I'm Dave Hollis. And we're married. For like 14 years. And together for 16. We have kids. Four kids. Which is like a thousand kids. We've also been foster parents to four kids as well. We're running a business together. We do a lot of things. That is a lot of things. <laughs> but we feel like it's possible, we know it's possible, to have an exceptional relationship regardless of the stresses you have in your life. That's why we decided to do a podcast together. It's called Rise Together. So if you want some tips and tricks on how we kind of get through all the things. This is it. Come on down. Here we go. <laughs> Chris, man, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Super duper great to be with y'all. Yeah. Uh, so will you tell us, like, because I know there are people listening who are way down, who know the words that we are speaking, and I know there are other people who are like, what is Enneagram? How do you even spell that? What does that mean? Is it voodoo? Yes. Is it voodoo? Is it witchcraft? Can you tell us about your career, how you got to this place, and then we'll kind of dive into um, the work that you're doing. Sure. So I... um. So the first part of my career, I, I spent 20 years in an international community doing a humanitarian work. And uh, as soon as I graduated from university, I moved to, to South India and um, within a few months had helped start the first pediatric AIDS care home um, in, in those eight countries in South Asia. And so at a time in my life when I should have been at, uh, you know, the, the, visiting my, my friend's new babies in hospitals, I was sitting at grave sites. Um, with the children that we had taken in, in, in many cases, children that we had named and then children who had, who had fallen and, and, and passed too soon. And uh, it, was a, it was an amazing time in my life, but a, as you can imagine, it was a, a profoundly painful time in my life as well. Um, I was a young guy in my 20s, and I don't think I realized sort of the, the access that I had. And so ended up spending quite a bit of time with Mother Teresa the last few years of her life as well. And um, found her to be, of course, as, as you could, could imagine, an incredible conversation partner, uh, an outstanding and remarkable mentor, and really somebody to, to, to try to, to aspire or aim to, to live into, I think, the responsibility of, of the gift of, of, of her friendship and kindness to me. Gosh. Wait a second. I, I'm sorry. I'm gonna we're gonna handle this like a couple of buffoons because we're both over here like shaking our what? <laughs> of all the things I thought you were gonna say or start with, like what a beautiful testimony, what a beautiful like beginning into adulthood. I can't even mm. imagine how that set you up for everything that's come after. Yeah, yeah. Like like I said, I, I don't think I realized sort of the access that I had. And, you know, I, I, I probably only sat with mother a dozen or, or, or 15 times, but she, every time I was with her, she'd give me something. She'd sign a, a little blessing or a prayer card for me, or she'd give me a, a, a cross or a prayer card. We found um, traction really, really quickly in that work. And uh, the, the, the man who had founded that organization um, a few years into it transitioned out. And so the board of directors asked me to, to come back to the States and, and take over. The primary focus of that organization then ended up becoming um, involvement in the anti-trafficking movement. And so we were working with, with kids who had been conscripted to fight in civil wars during the Blood Diamonds conflict in Sierra Leone. 
as well as um, women and children who had been trafficked into the commercial sex industry all over, all over the world. And so it was an amazing run. It was a, an incredible 20 years of my life and uh, I'm still really, really grateful for it. So we were, we were doing this work. It was, man, it was a hard run. Um, and, and I'll, and I'll be honest with you, like a, a lot of us were, were doing this at our own expense. And so, you know, this, if you're a decent human being, if you're, you're a parent that, that you often, um, attempt to take better care of someone else than yourself. And I think in the work that we were doing, it was catching up to us. Um, secondly, you know, we were working with a lot of young people and, and, and I hate to say it, but it's like a, a lot of folks right now sort of have this ADD vocational attention span of a degree program. And, and so to really have to commit to something longer than two or three years is, is painful. It's limiting and sort of, sort of the long way around the head to get to the nose here. But, uh, after 20 years, I, I needed a, a change. I had, had, had spent the best and the worst of myself in, in this work. And, uh, we, uh, my wife and I about six and a half, almost seven years ago, peeled off of, of that organization. And we started this little center for contemplative activism. What we're trying to do is help people who are helping people. We're, we're trying to say, if you actually believe um, that building a better world should come from a, a, a centered place of rootedness, then here's some meditation, mindfulness, and contemplative practices to sort of help you along the way. And really has become, I think, sort of... Um, a real positive space for, for the, the, the overlay of some of the work that I do with the Enneagram to sort of come in as a, as a support or, or an accompanying tool or teaching or tradition to help us on, on this path. All right. That is a perfect segue into the magic question, which is, what is the Enneagram? What is this Enneagram you speak of? <laughs> yes. So I learned the Enneagram 20 years ago in, in the slums of Cambodia. I was on a rooftop cafe with a friend from, from New Zealand and uh, he asked me if I'd ever heard of this. And uh, as he started to, to tell me about it, 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 it weirded me out a good bit. Um, and then I saw the symbol and I thought, whoa, this is like super evil, like two pentagrams having sex and thought, There's <laughs> no way this is street legal for me to yes, learn about. Totally. Um, I, I think it finds you right on time. And, and when it does, and, and when you come across it, Man, it's like a splinter in your brain that you you cannot shake. So as I was introduced to this, I, I was introduced to it as a, a teaching on on uh, on the nine archetypes of human character structure, and um, that's one of the ways that that we can look at the enneagram in terms of understanding um, what we mean, let's say, by personality, or what we mean by the ways that we distract ourselves from, from really getting to the truth of our ourselves, our essence. When, um, when, when I tell people about this and they look at me funny because they don't know what that word is, um, I always tell them that it's like a disc test or it's like Myers-Briggs. It's just another way to understand yourself. Um, and it's been around for a really long time. Is that right? Like, like since like ancient Greece or something. Well, that's I, so I love, love, love the sort of conflicted, contested mythology of its origins. It, it may be six or 7,000 years old. Um, with sort of rumored evidence of it in, in the deserts of ancient Egypt, um, you know, 4,000 years ago in prehistoric Korea, the, the early Greek mathematicians, all the great world religions in their mystical streams within uh, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, all sort of lay claim to it. But really, we're, we're just working with a teaching that's about 40, 45 years old when we talk about the Enneagram of personality. Okay. Right? Before the personality sort of overlay here, it was a, a process teaching. It was a you know, this, this, this Greek Armenian man who brought it forward about 100 and 102 years ago said that it was a way of re reading or, or translating or understanding every perfect system that if you 
sat in the desert and you drew this symbol in the sand over and over and over again, you could see into it everything that could be learned and that would render libraries useless, right? So, so it's, there's, there's some, some wacky stuff going on here. Yeah. And, and what we've done over the last 45 years is we've really leaned into the, the personality aspect of it, a way of sort of observing um, this sort of, let's say, shape of our tragic flaw um, the way of sort of coming to terms with how we've gotten lost from from our true selves or our essential nature, and, and the nine ways that that we try to, like I said earlier, try to try to be loved or, or get love or, or, or receive it. And so, yeah. So I'll tell you how we came into understanding this. I had a, a member of our team at, at my company. This was a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago. She had seen it somewhere, I don't remember where, and she came into the office and she put it in Slack one day and she said, hey, this is a personality test. It'll trip you guys out. Everyone should go take it. And we took it as a staff so that we could kind of understand, you know, I think we did it at lunch just like for fun. And then when we started reading it, we read our own and we were like, holy smokes. And then we read other people's and we were like, holy smokes, like this is so stinking accurate. And I don't think it went, it was until a few days later that I was like, Oh my gosh, Dave, you have to do this test. And that was when we realized not only could you take the test and identify your type, but then you could see how your type worked with your partner. And when I read that like study, so Dave is a, what are you a three? No, I'm a three. You're a nine. I'm a nine. Yeah. Three. Um, By the way, when you came home and were like, Hey, you should take this test. I saw the overlapping pentagram. And <laughs> this is crazy. What are you speaking of? And then, of course, I took it because it was more curiosity than it was anything else. And in reading what it said about what I am because of answering these quick questions, it was spot on. Yeah. But I agree with exactly what you were about to say, which is when we saw how me as a nine and you as a three interact, mm-hmm. it really was like deciphering the ways that we could better engage in constructive conversation yeah. when we disagree and ways that we could come around each other from a, like, how you need to be loved or how you need to be heard or how you need to be talked to. Um, and it was, like I said, it was, just, it was a map. It was instructive for me to think differently about how you are wired so that I could meet you where you're wired. I think what tripped me out when I read that, like how the two personalities work together is I felt like I was reading a diary of our relationship. Because it said, these are the things that you might struggle with as a couple, and these are the things that you will do really well as a couple. And I was like, holy crap. Are you reading my diary? Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Sorry, we just got off on a a super personal tangent in this. But could you walk us through the different personality types that are there so that people can kind of understand what the how it differentiates? Sure. So when, when I learned it, I, I learned it, um, I learned it through fundamental needs actually. And, and if you're, you're new to the Enneagram, um, you know, first of all, this, this funny little word, it, it just comes from sort of two, two sort of terms in Greek. So Ennea is the Greek word for nine and, and gram is, is, is the word for, for drawing like a, like a diagram. And so this is a nine pointed diagram. And, and, and if you look at it at the top of this, this circle, um, you see point nine and, and then sort of clockwise it, it's numbered all the way around there. So there's a lot of different ways to describe the the energies of each of the nine types. And, and there's actually names that folks at, at, at different sort of schools or Enneagram institutes have ascribed to these. 
And, and so some of the popular ones come out of the Enneagram Institute in, in, in the narrative tradition. And what they say is that the one is sometimes called the reformer or the perfectionist. And this is, you know, just very fundamentally um, reduced down to the need to, to be perfect. Um, folks who are dominant in type two are, are sometimes called the helper or the giver. This is the need to be needed. Uh, folks who are dominant in type three, sometimes called the achiever or the performer, and, and this is the need to succeed. Yes, that is me, you guys. This, like, if you read the description of this, it is bananas how much it's me. And what I tripped out about was the the um, when I first read about my type, it said that um, a lot of times it's children who have learned to achieve through like childhood, like they thought as little kids that if they could just achieve things, that's how they would get love or attention or notice. And I really honestly thought that was something that only happened in my family. So I'm, I love anything in life that reminds you that you're not alone and that it's not just you who feels this way. So that was super powerful for me. Yeah. And, 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 and what you just said is exactly the point here. Um, you know, for all of us, like I said, I, I really fundamentally think that this is less about nine types of people and more about nine ways of, of how we thirst for love. And so in particular, man, the, the three, this is, there's so much compassion here because the three is one of the, the repressed or they repress their heart center. And, uh, you know, I don't really like to give these handles or these names for the types, you know, the performer or the achiever, because it's so reductionist because it's, um, sort of cliche, but folks who are dominant in type three, it's it's not that they have this need to succeed. It's that they have misunderstood that that the source of love doesn't come from what it is that they achieve or accomplish or are recognized for. Absolutely. But man, somehow as a child in these, these so-called childhood wounds, and I actually don't think the Enneagram's childhood wounds are legitimate wounds, um, but, but the so-called childhood wound of the three was a wound to the heart. It, it was a wound of not understanding their own access to their feeling center. And so they had to reach outside of it. And, and that reach, they it's like when you're, you're standing by a fire and you sort of put your palms up to the flame to feel heat, the, the heat that they were feeling from others' emotional centers, feeling centers was attention, um, admiration, recognition, and they mistook that as love yes. when simply it's just a, a, a thinned out version of affection and, and affection and love aren't really the same thing at all. So good. So good. So these poor folks who are threes, it just breaks my heart <laughs> because all the drive is, is, is really not because you cannot help, but, but sort of live into the fecundancy of, uh, of your creativity or your imagination or your curiosity. You know, it's, it's really because you just want to be loved. Yeah. And there's all these different ways that you go at trying to feel it, trying to experience it, trying to trying to receive it. Wow. All right, enough of Rachel. Number four. <laughs> Dave wants you to keep going oh. so you can get to his stuff. Oh man! All right, so fours are sometimes called the uh, um, the individualists, uh, the romantic, the tragic romantic. I, with all affection, I sometimes um, refer to the four as as the diva. This is the need to be unique. Um, type five is, is is sometimes called the observer or the investigator. I love it in Spanish. They call the five the theorist. Uh, this is the need to understand. Type six is the um, sometimes called the loyalist, the skeptic. This is the, the need to be secure. Seven is the enthusiast, the need to avoid pain. Eight is the challenger. Um, sometimes I say the contrarian. This is the need to be against. And then nine, folks are dominant in type nine. Um, are sometimes called the uh, mediator, the 
um, Peacemaker, The Arbitrator. This is simply the need to avoid. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And uh, that's a little bit of a bummer for the nine because, I again, I, I think it, it, it doesn't get to the complexities of what's really going on inside the, the head and the heart of, of folks who are dominant in type nine, which is the world will be okay and, 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 and I can actually navigate its okayness. I'm, I'm really good at sort of mending it and, and, and fixing it. Um, the thing is, is I just don't want to have to look inside and, and mend all the fractured bits of, of my own inner landscape. And, and so all of us are doing this. We're, we're projecting, we're, we're, we're creating these proxy battles outside of our hearts, our heads, um, our, our, our sense of selves. So the nine does this as a way of, of, of distracting themselves from, from that inward gaze. So good. Uh, Man, so, I'm, I feel like we're like at a psychic and honestly. I'm like, oh, like that's so real, Dave. That but, is so real. But here's the, the question that I have in real time. Sorry, this is not the point of this podcast, <laughs> but I, since we're in therapy for me now, I want to ask this question. Like we took this test at the beginning of a journey that we're in the middle of transition-wise, where I clung to security, I was very much a don't talk about it, don't deal with it. I was clinging to maintaining a status quo at the expense of fulfillment and have Mm -hmm. since quit my job, moved my family, got into business with my wife, become vulnerable in crazy ways on the internet that I would not (laughs) have expected, um, in part because of having come to some realization through work in a whole host of self-help kind of spaces that said... Um, you're believing a bunch of lies. The real truth will actually allow you to have a deeper sense of uh, satisfaction and fulfillment. If I were to take an Enneagram test today, will my number change? Oh, good question. I, you know, right? Like, like, it, as, like seasons of life change. Do what you identify as, as an Enneag- from an Enneagram perspective change? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think that in general, the, the consensus, especially in, in sort of the professional community would be that you're, 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 you're probably born your type and you're probably going to die your type. Now, it's not fatalistic. Um, I, I think actually um, what this says, and, and I think what it says, if, if you believe this, is that you're actually here for a reason, that you are born to bring a gift forward and that we need you to reconnect with that gift. Mm-hmm. And, and so- you know, for, for the nine, that's really um, love. That's, that's, that's the holy idea. The unobstructed view of reality that the nine brings is, is what we, we need to learn about love. And, and that's the gift. That's, that's the social gift. But that's really the sort of existential and spiritual gift. And, and then when the nine aligns with that love, what's um, actually sort of invigorated within the, 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 the soul of the nine is, is right action. And, and so when you see love in action, this is really what, what we see um, as the sort of the, the need for nines to be the luminaries that they are. So if you're, you're born your type, I think you're actually born to bring something forward into the world that's missing. And, and only you can bring the sort of 
flavor or accent to that gift. I like that. And I'm realizing in real time, almost like when you get a 360 at work, you turn <laughs> immediately to the back page to see the critical feedback and not spend any time necessarily on the positives. Each of these numbers, each of these types, each, each of these personalities, they have qualities that you might associate as being really good things. They also have qualities that you might associate as being not as good things. I found myself in real time as we're talking, trying to like, not actively, but actually I was being a little bit defensive of some of the not so ideal qualities of the nine to see if I could change into something else, which is yeah. more telling maybe in <laughs> my need to continue to go to therapy, but also um, maybe even just misinterpreting a little bit of like how to read some of what's in this when, from a tool standpoint. Yeah. So I don't want to, I don't want to sort of do this to you, but like, it's such a nine posture to take yes. in terms of <laughs> wanting to be nine. so understanding of all the other types yes. and maybe even so um, the possibility of merging into those other types. Yes. And in fact, folks who are nines are the ones who, who mistype um, most frequently because they're so understanding and can be so uh, accommodating to another perspective. You know, what's funny about my number? Best friends yeah, no. I mean, what in the world? What's funny about mm -hmm. my number? Like you're, you're like maybe I'm something else. I'm like, heck yes, I'm a three. <laughs> like, yeah, I am. <laughs> well, actually, the the three is the other type that will often mistype as well. Um, for a very different reason, right? The nines can mistype because they're so understanding and they can understand everybody else at sometimes the expense of themselves. The the three will sometimes mistype because, you know, the three is um, incredible at playing roles. And, and this is part of the social gift of the three. It's they, 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 they sort of look into the community, into the team, into the relationship that that's most meaningful to them. And they see what's missing. And, and, and it's on the subconscious level, they, they volunteer themselves. They say, hey, I'll, I'll fill that space. I'll actually sort of take on another role and, and, I'll, and I'll sort of give myself for the collective good so that we can move this forward together. And the three will do that with, it, it's almost like they've learned a, a foreign language without an accent. They'll do that so well that they often believe then that they've become that proxy role, that additional sort of contributor that they've they volunteered themselves that to be. That explains the first, like basically all of my 20s. You just described all of my 20s. Mm. So here we are 25 minutes into this conversation and there may still be people that are like, uh, how do I know what my number is? Like, is there, a, is there a set of tools or a resource that you send people to traditionally to get them Probably to Probably his book. Well, he's yeah. obviously- Chris has a great book. Yeah, Chris, Chris tells about your book. Yeah. Well, thanks. I uh, I did write a little book on this called The Sacred Enneagram. And uh, the punchline of that book was once you know your type, what do you do with it? How do you actually align um, contemplative practice and, and mindfulness intentions with your type so that, let's say this, that the nine Enneagram types are, are less about nine types of people, more about nine paths to God or, or more about nine paths to your true self, right? Before we get into how understanding how your type and someone else that you are in relationships with type meshes well or how you can because of knowing these things have a stronger relationship chris can you explain how you even understand what your type is in the first place yeah so i there's so many ways to sort of bring your your type forward and, and i'll say this i'll say this first just as sort of a caution that it, it really is sort of a 
a kind of sacred pilgrimage. It's really yours to bring forward. So we all have a tendency once we learn this teaching to want to type other people. And, and that's really a party foul. It's, it really isn't our business to put type on someone else. So work with yourself and work with yourself. And that's, I think some of the good advice here, but I think when you are ready for this and you want to find your type, there's, 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 there's plenty of tests that you can take online and, and some of those are free. Um, the Enneagram Institute has, I think, the, the best test out there, and that's the RETI, that's R-H-E-T-I, and that might be 10 or 12 bucks, but it's actually worth it. They send you some, some, some really good material to help you sort of translate, let's say, the tea leaves of what all this means. Now, I, I know that there are folks who actually and fundamentally think that the test is the worst way to bring your type forward because your type isn't the collections of, 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 of foibles and, and caricatures and idiosyncrasies about you. Your, your type really is um, the gift of your essence. It's, it's behind the masks that you wear. And, and I think that's what we mean by personality. So there's other ways of doing this, which is through typing process interviews, through panel works or, or meeting some meeting with somebody who's, who, who's trained and, and, and sort of helping with inquiry, you bring type forward. My, my sense is this, however you, 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 you can get to it, um, allow it to be um, a, a gentle process and really, really, really allow it to be compassionate. Because what happens for a lot of us when we see our type the very first time is it feels like somebody's just pressed on, on the stress fracture in our soul. And, and it can be humiliating for our egos when it shouldn't be. Um, and, and so be kind with yourself, find a, a little bit of sense of humor with this, and, and then learn to self-observe. And, and if I don't say this a hundred times, I haven't said enough because if we can't self-observe, then we can't self-correct. And if we can't self-correct, then of course, we're not bringing the best of ourselves into, into our relationship. That's, that's great. All right. So we have identified who we are by whatever means we have gone through that process. How then does knowing what we know help us in relationship with others? Right. So, so, you know, I was saying earlier, I, I'd been part of this international humanitarian group for 20 years and man, I, I wish I had the fluency then that I have now uh, around the Enneagram Be, because what I was unable to do in, in those 20 years was, was really be truthful about myself. Right. And, and when I'm not truthful with myself, then I can't be truthful with the people I love and, and it was harming relationships. Um, I sometimes say this, I sometimes say that the Enneagram, and especially when we're talking about the Enneagram of personality, is our ego set of coping addictions that we've wrapped up around these childhood wounds so that we don't have to tell ourselves the truth about who we really are. And that's devastating to have to be honest, because what that does is it begins to dismantle the sort of scaffolding we built out around the projection of our ego mythology. And if I'm not being truthful with you in a relationship, then what really is the substance or the, the foundation yeah. for that yeah. relationship? I, out of curiosity, uh, this is, I don't even know if this is a taboo thing to ask an Enneagram expert, but what is your number? So <laughs> is that inappropriate? <laughs> no, I'm fine. I, yeah. I think my type is actually always showing. So it's, it's not surprising for people who know me. Um, I'm Enneagram type eight. Yeah, and uh, the what always happens when I'm like, yeah, I'm an eight is somebody will say, oh, yeah, I used to work with an unhealthy eight. And yeah, it's like that's the, yeah. the sort of given response. And I'm like, oh, they probably weren't an unhealthy eight. You probably just weren't enough of yourself. Ooh. And so they pushed on that. Uh, that's interesting. It's a bummer because the eight gets beat up a lot in in, in sort of the Enneagram 
uh, side chatter, but that's because it beats up on people quite a bit. But I thought I had always heard, you know, with any of these numbers that there's a healthy version and an unhealthy version of both of these things. Like eights can be, um, I thought I have always heard that eights can be tyrannical and they can also be world changers. They can also be people that, you know, I thought I'm going to say this stuff like I'm an expert and I'm not, and you can correct me, but I had always heard that like Martin Luther King Jr. was an eight and mother Teresa was an eight, like that they were leaders who changed the world. Yeah. I I actually believe that. I believe that mother was an eight. And uh, I I know for a long, long time, people had, had assumed that she was a two, right? Mm -hmm. This need to be needed, this helping um, compassionate figure, but eights and twos are, are are connected with one of those crisscrossing lines inside the circle, and and what those lines show us is is where we can reach um, when we're we're centered, and where we reach when we're we're stressed, and uh, and I really believe I really believe as 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 a centered rooted eight, when she would reach across that circle and and, and grab that compassionate energy of type two, that's really when you saw her at her best. That's why 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 we still admire her today. Right. So for uh, for a couple like us, because I think, um, you know, we've read the, the information on how we both kind of work together. So if you're you right now, you're canceling a three and a nine. What could you tell us about what would be great possibly about our relationship and where there might be pitfalls? Because I think what was really helpful for me was to read what the pitfalls were, because I don't know that I ever would have admitted those things to myself. And when I saw them in print, I was like, that's so right. Like I would do that. I actually too, it was like the, like a, identifying what a trigger could be for her uh-huh. was just even the awareness of that trigger had me think differently about how I'd engage in any kind of conversation, good or otherwise. So this will be yeah. a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> okay. So, so actually, I would I would say first off, like if if I was um sort of sitting with a, a couple that were, were three and nine, you know, the first thing I, I think I would immediately want to point out is this this is a really good pairing, right? The three, the six, and the nine. This is the triangle in the middle of the circle of the enneagram, and, and they call the threes, the sixes, and the nines pragmatists. These are folks that are, are really practical. They 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 stick with things that work, and, and man, they 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 somehow seem to find their way to each other pretty frequently in, in relationships. And so you at least have a, a good foundation for understanding each other. And, and I imagine you probably work really well together. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, and, and so you have that going for you. And, and, and I think like in, in all things, we, we, we want to build off our successes. Right. And so there's this, 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 uh, you have a, a common ground for your shared footing now because three is in the heart center. And because nine is in the body center, um, this is one of the, the the first areas where you may experience some divergence. Wait, I, I have to so, ask you before you move on from this, just to unpack that a little bit. What is the difference between heart center and body center in this sense? Yeah. Well, all right. So one of the, I, I think one of the easiest ways to find yourself in the Enneagram is, is to start with the three um, intelligent centers, right? And so types eight, nine, and one are in the body center, Types two, three, and four are in the heart center, and then types five, six, and seven are in the head center. And, and when we talk about these intelligence centers, the body, the heart, and the head, what we're talking about is, is primarily our, our primary way of perceiving reality, our primary way of perceiving the world. And, and so do you do that through your gut, through your instincts? 
Do you do that through your heart or through your feelings? Or do you do that through your head and, and, and through your thoughts? And uh, when you know that about yourself, if you're a gut person, a heart person, a head person, actually what you really get to do is to begin to learn how to trust your own uh, pathways for discernment, right? These are our natural spaces to, to learn how to make good decisions about what's good, true, and beautiful mm. for us, right? So you two are, um, are this is great, you know, that one of you is, is in your body and one of you is in your heart. Simultaneously, and, and let's come back to the three, the six, and the nine, because these are the, the revolutionary types. These are the, the anchor points of the Enneagram. The threes, the six, and the nines are the most disconnected from their center. Mm. So actually, the three is the most disconnected from their heart center, which means part of your inner work is, is learning to trust your heart again and really letting yourself be love for for what love feels like not what you have to do to achieve it or earn 100 yeah for for dave there in the body center um the nine is the most disconnected from their own body so so really the the inner work for the nine is to engage that sense of embodiment and this might not actually sound like great advice but what i usually tell folks for dominant type nine is you you will learn that i think most efficiently and effectively through actually uh, aligning yourself with what upsets you, where you begin to start to feel your frustration and your anger. Because for those of us in our bodies, eights, nines, and ones, our most accessible emotion is a form of anger. But for for nines, they've repressed that anger. They've never given themselves permission to really feel it. And and so they hide it from themselves. So good. So, you know, so this is the bummer, man. So for nines, it's like hiding that anger from yourself is, is part of the residue of the so-called childhood wound of, hey, I'm going to be as understanding as I possibly can be. In fact, I'm going to be more understanding than I should be by minimizing my own needs. I'm going to take what's important to me. I'm going to put it in my back pocket. I'm not going to set it down and walk away from it. I'm going to keep it close but I'm going to hide it from myself. Dave is literally crying right now. I'm not crying tears, tears, but like I can't see through my eyes. So good work. Good work, Chris. Oh my gosh. That's so good. Yes. So I, so I'm not saying this Dave about you. I'm, I'm just saying in general for folks who are nine. We're making (laughs) progress here. (laughs) So, so what nines also have done is they've taken actually the this inner sense of permission to feel their anger and they've also hidden that from themselves and and so to reconnect with your anger is actually where you begin to practice discernment and this is a bummer for nines who who finally let themselves feel a little bit of that anger it's clumsy they they, they're not good at it Uh, they feel really bad when it comes out and then they think they have to apologize for it but it's like no like let it sort of let it be a wave that that you surf towards truth and 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 and, and surf towards realigning with what it was that that you hid. So good. I mean, I just you didn't give yourself. I'm just coming off of a stage where I'm talking about putting on headphones and going on a long run, or using alcohol to numb the feelings of this weird transition from my 30s to my 40s, and it's just like it's so resonant mm. in every single thing that you're saying because feelings. Mm like bigger than normal feelings were coming up in this big existential, why am I here and what's my purpose? And am I living fully into God's potential that he's given to me? And the answers that were coming back weren't ones that I liked. And instead of dealing with it, I was doing everything I could in a super unhealthy way to have to not deal. So, so real. Mm. man. 
Yeah. So this is, so that, I mean, this is an incredible sort of phase of life transition where, and look, this is for all of us, we're always in a phase of life transition, whether we recognize it or not, but it's the sort of becoming more truthful. So, so look, if, if you're a nine out there or Dave, <laughs> uh, as a body type person, but specifically as a nine sort of, you know, disconnected from that body to, to sort of connect with that, um, that frustration is, is, is sort of the yellow brick road to truth. Now, if you're a three or if you're in the heart center, that most accessible emotion is a form of guilt or shame. And, and, and for the three in particular, that, that shame is, is, is the sort of shame of, look, I'm a source of authenticity. I'm, I'm a source of truthfulness in the world, right? The holy idea of the three, the unobjected, unobstructed view of reality is hope and hopefulness. But man, sometimes for a three to get the rest of us on board with hope, um, you have to sort of curve, you have to curve the corners. You have to come around the edges, maybe um, not as directly as, as some of the others of us might. And, and so that may feel like a form of an exaggeration, let's say, or there may be something that's not entirely authentic or truthful about it. And so that triggers this, this shame in the three who's like, hey, if I'm a source of authenticity, if I'm a source of truth, then, then why can't I be as true to my own truth as, as I would idealize mm-hmm, it to mm-hmm. be? Absolutely. And so what happens here is this, this anger and this guilt collide. And, and so, you know, a nine and a three coming together would, would sometimes look like this. The nine is going to repress um, or, or suppress part of themselves to pander to those feelings of guilt or shame that they're intuitively going to pick up on in a three. In fact, they may pick up on it when, when a three is not even picking up on it for themselves. And, and so there's sort of a, an untangling of, of truths and exaggerations here between, I think, nines and threes um, that, that really... Um, can get can get complicated. Secondly, when I when I would look at a nine and three together, I would look at your fundamental social needs, and and these social needs um, are also your needs in in your intimate relationships. And uh, when your intelligence centers, the head, the heart, and the body are are misaligned, it, it can can lead to some real frustration in relationships. So for those of us in our bodies, eights, nines, and ones, this this fundamental social need is is for autonomy. For those of us in our hearts, twos, threes, and fours, this is for connection. And, and for folks in their heads, five, six, and sevens, it's for security. What's tricky is if you're a three and you really do need and long for that connection as one of the sort of bonders of intimacy and relationships, but you're paired with a nine who needs autonomy, then you're going to really misunderstand each other. And so the the misunderstanding is this. If, if you're a nine, your need for autonomy to own your sense of self is actually what's going to allow you to give yourself back to someone else. And for three, that's how they're going to connect. Um, but for nine, it also has to be an intentional sort of accessing your heart center, which isn't your, your, your dominant center, so that that connection um, doesn't lead to sort of, I think, unhelpful comparisons, which then for threes can, can, can lead to some real dissatisfaction in, mm-hmm. in relationships. Absolutely. Okay, so conflict resolution. That's what we're going to talk about, or conflict avoidance, or how do you describe this? Sure. So our Enneagram type actually shows us the love offering that we bring to de-escalate conflict, to sort of bring things down when the stakes get really high, when the conversations get really critical or crucial. This is also subconscious. We, we don't know that we're doing it. And so there's there's three love offerings that, that the Enneagram sort of 
gives us. And, and, the, and the first one, and this is folks who are twos, sevens, and nines, is, is the gift of, of reframing, right? This is the, the positive outlook conflict avoidance style. So something is triggered when, 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 when somebody gets upset, um, twos, sevens, and nines suddenly sort of just go to, hey, it's not that bad, or, or hey, it could be worse, or hey, let's look on the bright side. And they're not exaggerating and, 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 they're, and they're not diminishing the intensity of, of, of a scenario. They're just saying, hey, it doesn't have to, to, to get as bad as I think it might. So let's cut that off. And, and that's the gift that they bring. That's so, I mean, by the way, that's 100% Dave Hollis. Because I will get upset about basically anything. And he's like, it's not that bad. They didn't mean, I know that they cut off your left arm, but they did not you mean have to. A right you arm. have a right arm. You're fine. Yes. And that positive outlook is, is really a gift. I, I, I mean, it really, truly is. The, the problem is, unless we're a two, a seven or nine, we generally aren't prepared to receive the gift. So what we do is we counter with our style. So for those of us that are fours, sixes and eights, it, it's emotional intensity. It's reactivity. It's just discharging our frustration or our anger and it's getting it off our chest. And, uh, Look, if you're not a four, six, or eight, that for sure does not feel like conflict avoidance. In fact, that feels like you're trying to provoke conflict. But it's like, if I can just get it off my chest, I'm done with it. I've set it down. I've moved on from it. Now, that love offering, let's say, is a really hard one to receive. And um, and so that often leads to misunderstanding. This leads us with, of course, the ones, the threes, and the fives. And the love offering the ones, the threes, and the fives bring to de-escalate conflict is, is, is objective understanding, right? It's just rational competency. It's clear-headed thinking. So when something really intense is about to happen, about to pop, when you're on the precipice of, of, of that old fight that you've, you've had many, 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 many times, you know, the ones, the threes, and the fives are going to stop and are just going to say, hey, let's, let's figure this out. Let's get to the bottom of this. Why do we keep coming back here? And, and it can almost be um, a disembodied, almost non-emotional experience. Yeah, I totally, like we're both sitting here nodding our heads. I totally agree. What happens is, is when we don't receive the gift that somebody is bringing us, it actually leads to conflict. This is really why the fight is often never about the fight. It's simply because we're not, receiving a gift from each other and and on a subconscious level there there is some pain or that that does hurt when i talk about this i i I try to sort of illustrate it with my wife who's a two and myself who's an eight right and so felina positive outlook myself uh, emotional reactivity right intensity when when we fight it, it it sometimes goes like this we jump in the car driving from our little townhouse down to the center. It's, you know, it's a mile and a half. It's 14 stoplights. My sweet puppy Basil sitting on Felina's lap and somebody cuts me off. All right. So review really quick. I'm a body type, (laughs) right? Eights, nines, and ones are most accessible emotion is frustration or anger. So somebody cuts me off and, and I smash the horn and I'm like, that son of a gun. That's my conflict avoidance style. I'm discharging my anger so that I don't have to, to sort of carry it forward into the rest of my day. Sweet Felina, sitting beside me, type two, positive outlook, realizes, hey, Chris is getting upset, so let me help him. She brings the positive outlook, the reframing style, and she says, oh, I don't think he saw you. (laughs) (laughs) And suddenly, something that shouldn't actually be a fight just triggers an old fight because 
I don't think she understands the intensity of the situation. So I have to come back even firmer and say, oh no, he saw us. In fact, he's trying to kill my dog. (laughs) And Paulina's like, the dog's okay. I'm okay. I don't think he would have cut you off if he had seen the dog. Again, reframing this. And now like, I'm really upset. She's trying to help me. And and, and suddenly we're fighting about something that's not a fight. This conversation is so much more powerful if you understand that Chris's Instagram is literally half dog pictures. It's so much more understandable if you would just glance at his Instagram and understand how much he loves this dog. I do love my dog. So when somebody's trying to kill my dog, I got to teach him a lesson. And uh, what ends up happening is I'm so furious that whoever cut me off, I'm frustrated because Felina doesn't understand how terrible of a person that driver was. Felina's like, poor Chris doesn't need to be upset about this. We're all okay. That we walk into the, the, the our office here and poor Betty who works with us sort of has to pick up on the energy. And and this is this is the bummer of being in relationship. We stick with things that don't work. And so if my conflict avoidance style actually lands me in a fight, I'm, I think on a subconscious level that it's going to get me out of the fight. And what you learn in the Enneagram is that it's always the third style that's the reconciling style. So if I'm emotional intensity and Felina's positive outlook, then what we have to do to get out of the fight is to appeal to objective understanding, which then sounds like, all right, Chris, you probably were driving too fast. And Felina, the dog probably shouldn't be sitting on your lap in the front seat. (laughs) And if we could sort of just see it as it is, then we can back out of it. Man, you're tripping me out right now. You're tripping me out because my dad is a, oh, I'm not looking at it. I think he's a six. What's the loyalist? The six, yep. Okay, so I, you know, have spent 35 years trying to work through the relationship with my dad. And I'm thinking of times because he is absolutely what you said. I've always described him as a tea kettle. Like he has to scream. But as soon as he screams, he's fine. And I am like super wounded because that's not how I process anything. Um, Mm. But I'm thinking of the times when our relationship, when we have successfully navigated around hard things, it has been because honestly, I've spent like months like praying and trying to figure out the right way to have a conversation with him. And I bring it to him in a super like the whatever the one you just said, like you've got to like map around it. Uh, I don't know. You're just tripping me out because this isn't just about how we manage relationships with our partners. It's also the intimate relationships we have with our family members. Yes. And and and, and I think when you can understand the harmonics and you can really understand how to work with this, it, it changes everything. I, I mean, it, it shows you, like I said, how, how, how frequently the fight is never, ever about a fight. And in fact, what's so sad, and I think for a lot of us in relationships, when we feel the most misunderstood and it's like, why... Why is this driving us apart? It's because we're, we're not learning to receive what the other tries to give, you know? So, what I think is interesting too is it doesn't mean that you're not going to slam on the horn when the guy cuts you off next week. But, <laughs> right. But having the self-awareness of who you are and who your partner is maybe keeps the energy that you're walking into the office with from being as toxic as it would have been if it weren't for the fact that you understand how you have to now depend on that third. Well, and if you both know how you're going to pull yourselves out of that situation, you can commit to that together. Yes. You know, hey, this is what we're going to do every time. And it also sort of helps you learn not to enable the sort of unbecoming patterns or or habits of the other. 
Yeah. And, and so what we have to do when we learn these conflict avoidance styles, like I said, we can enable each other to be ridiculous. So if I'm driving sporadically and I smash on the horn and that's a so-called love offering to de-escalate my inner conflict, then Felina in, in, in sort of navigating the intricacies of relationship, what she does is she has to receive that and says something like, yeah, what a jerk. And then it's like, <laughs> I just drop right back into the same conversation we were having a split second ago without even sort of blinking. That's now, so good. she's not enabling me to be an idiot. And so what she's doing is she's putting her arm around me saying, yeah, what a jerk. But, and then whatever she says next, I can hear, which mm. might be, you need to slow down. Yeah. <laughs> being too aggressive on the road. And, and so when you learn the sort of dance here, you really learn how to how to move with and and, and forward together. So- you know, if you're talking about a three and a nine, a, a positive outlook, nine reframing conflict, a three trying to be really sort of objective about it, it, it sounds ridiculous, but but probably your reconciling style is going to be an emotional intensity approach to being honest about how you've really hurt each other on 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 on, on a deep level and 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 the real pain that maybe either of you are not allowing yourself to feel because when you're honest about the depths of that pain, then you can actually sort of contend with it. And so for threes and nines, it's it's really learning to have the fight, not the outburst. Oh, we just it's, looked at each so other. We're the best so, stuff, no, yes, the very best more, stuff yes. that has come out of our relationship is when despite every impulse to the contrary, we have held hands or pushed each other into the the muck. We've yeah. waded into it and sat in that discomfort. And the the fruit, the product, the product that came out of like just like really just being in it has been overwhelmingly great. It's just so counter to like our basic natural instinct. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, if you're still skeptical as a listener of this podcast of what this could or could not be, we met Chris eight seconds before we started recording, <laughs> yeah. and Chris has just read the diary of our relationship <laughs> and of us individually. And, and it's not, you know, like mystic. It's truly, I think, just an understanding of how every one of us individually is created uniquely and lives inside of these different spaces. And by understanding how the interplay between spaces shows up, he can speak to how Ray and I in every day uh, need to think or at least be considerate of how we're each wired to more fully appreciate each other and have a richer, uh, fuller relationship. Um, and that's possible for you too. It, yeah. I, I think what's so interesting is it, you're, you're saying it so much more eloquently and beautifully than like the little report or whatever that we read, the way that it described it at the time, like potential, uh, you know, pitfalls or whatever of this pairing were, um, I need his attention. I need it. I like feel like I need it. And that can come across to him like, and he's so, so gracious and so giving and so supportive because he's my person. He's like the only one whose attention that I need. But if I don't get it, then it hurts my feelings. Um, but he then simultaneously can have times where he's like, how much more attention can I possibly give you? Like, I remember reading that part of this pairing and I was like, oh crap, that's so right. That really is what it is. I, he is like tired or he needs some time by himself or whatever. And I'm like, well, you don't love me. 
That's... Or it's opening day of NFL football, and <laughs> I've decided that I want to watch games, and you've asked me if I would go to a coffee shop, and when I said no because of NFL yeah, day like starting, didn't we didn't yeah. talk for two days. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. I didn't. Okay, great. Well, so so let's let's look at this. If you don't mind, there's a couple other ways yes, we can also yes, look at it. nines and threes in yes. relationships. Um, this might also help nines and threes um, who are out there listening, because honestly, it is a, a pretty common pairing. Um, like I said, because it's it, 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 it works, it's, it functions really well when when people are, are compassionate with themselves and truthful with each other. Now, Karen Horney was a, a, a neo Freudian psychologist. Um, and she died in, in in the 50s, actually. But she wrote about, well, she took Carl Jung's eight archetypes of personality, and she wrote about them in terms of how they go about getting their needs in relationships met. And uh, one of the great grandfathers of the modern Enneagram, Claudio Naranjo, sort of took this and, and, and tricked it out and, and sort of showed us the, the different methods or approaches, or, or sometimes it's called stances that we use to see our needs met. And so for um, fours, fives, and nines, um, that is a, a moving away from people, right? These are, are sometimes perceived as a more isolated types of folks. And, and actually how nines get what they want, they actually withdraw. And so if you're not a nine, that doesn't actually look like a way of getting anything. In fact, it looks like a way of resigning or actually distancing from relationships. So again, I'd say if a three and a nine are together, it's like when 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 nines withdraw, they're, they're actually doing this um, to bring themselves back into relationship, right? Fours withdraw because they want to be seen. Fives withdraw because they, they want to be secure. Nines withdraw to, to fortify that inner strength, right? That need for autonomy. And man, if you don't understand it, it looks like a form of rejection. It can come across as as, as sort of low key betrayal or smugness, and it, and it never. <laughs> well, sometimes it might be, but in general, it never really is. But, but that's so good. Just now, like, if you can appreciate that, then when you see it again, it's like that triggers idea. Like if you see that, and your trigger would normally be to be resentful of it or feel hurt by it, and you just realize, oh no, I'm sorry. It's the way you're wired, and I understand why you do it. The, the heart you have for empathy you have for me as a nine would just be fundamentally different, change the way that we engage. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and it just helps. I mean, it just helps, first of all, knowing this about yourself, like, all right, here I go again. I, I, I'm detaching, I'm withdrawing, I'm, I'm stepping back. And, and why am I doing that? Well, if it's actually so that I can bring myself forward, fabulous. Take care of yourself, do what you need. Now, Sometimes the nine opts out. Sometimes the nine checks out. And uh, sometimes the nine can can really sort of get into this sort of like autopilot mode. And that's not really healthy ideal for bringing yourself back into relationship. But you you have to learn to watch that as well because the, the sort of muscle memory of opting out isn't a a showing up. It isn't in, in, in embracing and engaging the best of yourself so that you can bring what is it the, um, what, what did you call them? Like the coping or the avoidance? What is that for a, uh, for a three? So this sort of social style or, or, or this sort of approach to getting your meets net for the three, they, they mirror up with sevens and eights. So sevens, eights, and threes, they move against people. Now it's a little bit of a bummer to say moving against people, 
especially for threes, because threes are subtle. Threes are are low key. Like the funny thing about threes, quietly, quietly, quietly competitive, and they would never want us to know that. But there's a real strong driver in the three, and, and the threes never want that to be exposed. So the the sort of moving against people of the three is is really the the the, the subtle ways that the three demands that they're seen, that they demand the the connections that they want. It's It doesn't come across as demanding. In fact, it's almost like a, a Jedi mind trick where they make us think we're giving them something that they've quietly <laughs> orchestrated. And so it's a sort of side hustle here. And um, nines in particular are, are really attuned to it. Um, and so they don't respond well to it. So you know, again, if we we're like, hey, how are nines and threes going to work this out? It's like when the nine withdraws, give them a second. They're, sh- they're going to show up. When, when the three sort of comes at you from the side to get what they want, um, listen to it, respond to it and, and, and move into it. But move into it as a way of making deeper connections around truthfulness and, and beauty and love. Because if you don't, uh, the three will, will act out on the three will become more demanding and, and, and the subtlety will become a little bit more aggressive. Um, and, and it may come across as, as too much for, for so good. Such good information today, Chris. Oh my gosh. Thank you. This might be the longest interview we've ever done, even on my podcast, because we just Mm. couldn't stop talking to you. Um, we are so stinking grateful for your time and your wisdom and, just literally barely scratching the surface of this topic. So if you want to find out more about Chris, Chris, tell everybody where they can find you on social, on the internet, where did they get your book? Give us all that juicy detail. Sure. So you can um, learn more about our work at gravitycenter.com. Um, we host retreats, um, workshops, um, and, and we really try to, to sort of demystify mysticism to, to make this really easy and accessible and practical for people with busy lives. Um, if you go to sacredenneagram.org, you can always find the hit list of, of the workshops that we're doing. And we do these literally all over the world from Cambodia and South Africa and, 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 and Toronto to little places like Nebraska and you know, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, and then you can chase us down at Chris Hewitt's on Twitter, Instagram. But if, you know, really, if there's ever anything that we can do for any of the folks in your community, just, just hit us up or holler at our way. And, and yeah, thank you so that. much. Uh, I, I mean, I'm like, I feel like I want to go write in a journal or something about all the stuff that we found today. We're definitely going to be talking it through over the weekend. Really, really good stuff. Thank you, Chris. We appreciate you and appreciate your time. Hey guys, if you liked today's episode, I hope that you will subscribe to the Rise Together podcast. You will get a notification every single time we have a new episode comes out, which is every Thursday. And take a picture, a screenshot, put it up on Instagram, tag Rise Together podcast, put it out to all of tag the humans Tag us so we can you know. see and we yeah. can say thank you. Man, let everyone know. And <laughs> if you don't like word. it, don't tell don't, anyone. Yeah, just keep that to yourself, sister. Please. <laughs>